0: week seven embracing weakness well tonight we're going to be in judges uh, chapter seven we've seen god call out gideon as a judge to redeem this kingless kingdom of the israelites um reminding you that when the word judge was brought up in this time they had not seen a western form of government When they thought of judge, they didn't think of a judge with a gavel um, sending you to heaven or hell. It was the judge from the word shaphat meant to position you back to your correct place. So in a kingless kingdom of 400 years of the Israelites rebelling against God, once they finally had too much oppression that they called out to God, God would raise up a judge to redeem the kingless culture. And I felt like it was a great time to go into this idea of a kingless kingdom because that is exactly what the Church of America is starting to become and America in itself. We're starting to rewrite the scripture and make it work to the culture when God says, I don't want you to uh, meet the standard of the culture. I want you to redeem the culture that has walked into darkness, that is lost. I don't want you to be culturally relevant. The only thing that's culturally relevant is the kingdom of God. And if we redeem the place back to that standard, we would see God do wonderful things in this nation and the world. Amen. It's God so loved the world, not God only loved America. And uh, we were talking a little bit about the missionaries in Saudi Arabia that came Wednesday and how uh, where they were from, God gave them um, a a building, a a, a palace actually over there in the middle of the city. And that was the place where, who who was buried, you say? Um, The bones of Muhammad. And uh, there's, you know, after the terrorist attacks in our nation for the past years, We've almost created this divide between us and them, and I think we need to remind, be reminded that God wants to redeem everyone, that it's not a, a, a white thing, it's not a, a black thing, it's not an American thing, it's not a, a, a Spanish thing, it's, an, it's, it's not an Asian thing, it's an everyone thing, amen? Um, so we saw last week that God redeemed uh, what was starting to redeem Israel in this time after seven years of oppression. Not 40, not 20, but this time it only took seven because the enemy, how many of you remember what the enemy was named? The Mid, the, the Midianites. They were so oppressive that after seven years, the Israelites had enough. They had to hide in caves. They couldn't live in their homes. They couldn't even work the ground because as soon as they would see fruit produced, the enemy would come in, as it said, like a, like a swarm of locusts, that many camels of armies and warriors coming in to take everything that the Israelites were working for. So God raises Gideon up. He has this conversation of saying, Gideon, I know you're the weakest of the weak of the week of the week, but I want to use you. And after conversations and confirmations, God, Gideon finally got it. And Gideon finally said, okay, Lord, what would you have me do? And we saw last week he was asking for confirmations for two ways. He says, God, if this is you talking, make the blanket wet and the the ground dry in the morning. God did that. And then Gideon said, just in case that wasn't a hiccup, the next morning let the blanket be dry and let the ground be wet. And God confirmed it again. So now we're at a time where Gideon has sounded the alarm. He has blown the shofar. He has blown the ram's horn. And 32,000 troops come ready to fight the battle to redeem the kingless kingdom. How many of you are some of those troops? You're ready to fight. You're ready to say, hey, we are here, God. Whatever you want to do, we're going to do it. Amen? Amen. So 32,000 men are ready to go. And now we're going to see what happens. uh, Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. So, Jerubba, so Jerubbael, that is Gideon, that's another name. Remember what the name means? He, he's like, let Baal defend himself because the people were trying to kill Gideon and, and, and Gideon's dad was like, well, if your God's so real, let your God take care of himself. And, and then they named Gideon You know, the dude, the the Baal God can't touch. So, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Interesting, the enemies in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm blowing horns to get an army... And 32,000 men show up to defeat the enemy. I wouldn't think that God's first response is you've got too many warriors on the front line. You got too many people fighting in my name. What? Really? They showed up at the sound of a ram's horn, and God, now you're telling me we got too many people to defeat the enemy? You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Talk about a test of faith, Gideon, you've got too many. What's funny is about the context of too many. Because 32,000 men are here, but the opposing army of the Midianites, you would think, okay, well, maybe they have less than 32,000. Because God says there's too many. But in fact, there were 135,000 troops in the Midianite camp. They were already outnumbered like three to one. And God says, even though the enemy is still outnumbering you, there are too many of you. Y'all got too many people because I am a jealous God and I want to make sure I get all the credit and I get all the glory for this victory to remind you that you've been trying to be free for the past seven years on your own accord and on your own accord, it's not getting you anywhere. So if I'm going to deliver you, I want to make sure that all of the reasoning as to why you won cannot be given to your strategy, cannot be given by how good of a fighter you are. It's you have to depend on me. God wanted the odds so bad that the only glory that could be given was Yahweh did this. Not Baal, not Asherah, not the the, the strong power of an army, not a good general, not, 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 not a president, but God, let me give you some comfort. Even if the wrong president's elected, but God. But, 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 if we are in the mindset that the, the, the peace of this nation rests in a man and a democracy, we have forgotten the strength of God and a people called the remnant of God. God is way too powerful to put all his cards in one man. That's why he calls us the body of. Because there is something in us that God wants to use despite what happens in the natural. That doesn't mean we need to go vote for the right thing. That doesn't mean we become passive. But what it does mean is remember that all hope is never lost in Jesus. So God says, I want the, want the odds stacked against you so that the only thing that can get glory is me. And it raises a question, do you really believe in his power? If God said to you, like he told Zerubbabel in the book of Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, would you go on just that? If God told you, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you up with my right hand, would, like he told us through the prophet Isaiah, would that be enough for you to move forward in the plans that God has for you? If God, do you believe I can do all things through through Christ who strengthens me? Do you believe that God will supply your every need? Because if we really believe these things, then our size and our influence would not matter when it comes to God. What would you have us do? And I think one of the most crippling agents in the church of, of today is we're waiting to grow to do something. And we put all these resources in, you know. Let let us let, let, let's, let's have a, a a festival and let's have a a, a, a concert, but call it revival so we can get the charismatics in. Oh yeah, I'm going there. You call it revival, but it only lasts five days. Nothing was revived. You're still dead. Am I, is that too much? We do, all these, we do all these things to bring people in because we think our first step is let's grow the numbers. And here we have a story of God saying, you've got too many empty numbers. I, I don't have to have a mega church of 25,000 if I can just have a committed church of 12. If we really believe that it's all his power and all his strength and all his might, why are we still trying to measure influence by a worldly standard? Right? There are many prophetic words today about this remnant of people. Remnant, a small group of believers that are actually walking a little bit differently than the world. They actually walk out in it but not of it. They actually look different, and people have to say they must be believers because of the way they live their life. Not believers based off of, hey, are you a believer? Oh, yeah, I'm a member of here and there. I didn't ask you about your membership. and I'm not asking where you put your money. I'm asking you, are you a true believer? There is a group of people in the world, not in the U.S., just in the U.S., in the world, who are actually sold out to him. And this whole idea of skin teachings on Wednesday night and this kingless kingdom, I believe that God is calling this house to be that people. And it's going to cause us to have to break some idols, to get out of some American tradition, and to walk back into step with what God wanted before we created the territory and divide called states and Nations. When the Bible talks about nations, he's not talking about political boundaries. He's talking about culture. He's talking about ethnicities. The word nation will rise against nation is actually talking about racism. But we're taught wrong because we, we still have this mind of political and governmental barriers. When the Bible says nation will rise against nation, why are you surprised that racism is coming up again? He said it's gonna be, it's gonna happen. How will you respond to it? How will you manage the times? Is there going to be a people that is so lost in my love and in my arms that they're going to look different? So when people are, are uh, criticized and chastised, when people have no love, when people are lost and abandoned, will they see a small remnant of God seekers and they say, we don't really know about this God thing, but we do see power in you. And then you introduce them to the one who gave us the power. And part of that remnant is the people who are not governed by fear. So God's got these 32,000 people ready to take the, take the land. And then God says there's too many of you. So look what God does in verse 3. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may lead this mountain and go home. 22,000. 1, of them I said yep that's me and they went home leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight 22,000 of these men went home because they were governed by sight and not by the faith that Gideon was walking in they saw a large army and they were overcome with fear and said you know we believe in God but he's not worth our suffering." He's not worth me losing my life. And it's not just losing life in the idea of physical death. But I would say there are people who say they believe in God, but when God says, will you lose your life in your friendships because they don't like the beliefs you're walking into, who are you more committed to? What the Lord is having you do or trying to keep the friendships that are actually polluting your walk with God? When your relationships and your families and your friends criticize you for doing something crazy like, I'm not going to celebrate a pagan holiday in America, are you willing to look stupid and different and foolish at the expense of losing losing the life of your circle of friendships? He says, who is bold enough to walk into a camp Of tremendous enemy influence, and you really believe that I will strengthen you, and I will hold you, so that you can totally conquer the valley. That you can go in with a tremendous amount of peace, and do what I've asked you to do. And when he gives this kind of, um, you you know, this challenge, twenty-two thousand believers. It wasn't just anyone. These are people, when when Gideon blew the ram's horn, the horn of salvation is what it stood for, the horn of strength, the shofar, the one that sounded the victory alarm, the believers came. And 22,000 of the believers said, I love Yahweh, but I love my life, and I don't want to lose it. And I believe that if we're going to get lost in the arms of the Father and walk as a different sort of people, we have to be willing to say, God, whatever you would have me lose, you're worth it. Paul, writing to Timothy, said this in 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I think sometimes we miss that part. We always talk about how God's not give us a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of fear, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Because sometimes it takes a self-discipline for you to walk in a place that you may be scared of. I don't want to walk into this area of I can depend only on God, but let me be so self-disciplined, a disciple of my God, that I will go despite what, may have, what I may have feared earlier. I will be so discipled in walking with God that if God told me to speak to a stranger where I would have had fear before, now my self-discipline, my discipled self, will say, yes, Lord, at the expense of looking foolish, at the expense of failing, you see, we always, when we feel that that nudge of God says go do, and then it doesn't turn out fruitful, we consider it failure and we question everything we do. But my Bible and my word tells me that the word of God never goes out null and void. But here again, the culture of the world, you want to see the fruit. And God says, what if you're only Mission was to plant a seed that would never have been planted had it not been for you. And in 20 years, that seed, I'm going to nourish it, I'm going to water it, I'm going to tend to it, and one day, it's going to burst open fruit. They're going to see me in a way that you never saw me, and child of God, you're never going to get the glory for it. I'm going to. But we look at it as, if I don't see fruit, oh, failure. I missed it. You never missed it if you say yes to the Lord. Well, how do I know of his voice? A lifestyle of seeking. I mean, just being real. We get to a place where we, uh, th- th- this is me many weeks. I've become busier and busier and busier, and I seldom get time to myself. And if God says, go do this thing, am I so self-disciplined that I will sacrifice my alone time for his assignment trusting that he knows I need rest and after I walk into it he will give me rest despite what I had scheduled. How much do we actually depend on what he's going to do? Verse 8 So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you be ready to what? Suffer with me. For the sake of the good news. And a lot of fear is tied up in not being willing to suffer. 22,000 left because they said, ah, we don't want to suffer. But if God calls you to a task, being willing to suffer, are we in this posture of I don't care what the consequences may be, I'm going where God has instructed me. Right? Lord, I'm willing to lose everything. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for whatever you want. 1 John four eighteen. love never brings fear. For fear is always related to punishment. You're scared you're going to get it wrong. You're scared you're going to get the fruit of death and failure and suffering. But love's perfection <clears throat> drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Are you so wrapped up in the truth of the love of the Father that fear no longer has a chance to get a foothold in your thinking? What drives out fear? Perfect love. God doesn't have to do anything else to prove his love for us. So it's no longer of God, show me you love me. It's son or daughter, embrace the identity that you are loved beyond everything, that you are embraced in right standing with the blood of Jesus. I love you, and if you would get your identity wrapped up in my love, then that love will cast out the fear of I got it wrong, I said it wrong, I did it this way. No, let it cast out the fear so no matter what, God, I'm willing to. I don't want to be like those 22,000 believers who left. I was talking to uh, Jenna, the, our, our kids' leader, and she was talking about um, a, a staff member at a very large church in Savannah. I'm not going to tell you what the name of the church was, but it's a very, 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 very large church in Savannah. But I'm not going to tell you the name. It's just a very, 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 very large church. Uh. See, this is why people don't fill up the seats. (laughs) That's all right, though. Jesus only had 12. The crowd's left. So, the staff member was talking about how this is what she told Jenna, or the person told Jenna. That they believed that this really wasn't truth. This was just man's interpretation of some stories. And I was like, and they're on staff? At... The largest church in Savannah. You know what I would I would deem her as one of the twenty two thousand. Because when it came down because when it came down time to would you suffer for it? That belief tells me no, you would not. Well, I can't believe he's calling that out. Someone's got to. And I don't know the name. I will never put the name out there because they're probably never going to listen to this podcast of a church located behind a liquor store and a pawn shop. Just being real. Are you in that vein of, I get lost in the 22,000 that will leave? Or are you in the vein of the people that God wants to use to really shake a nation and conquer what God has called us to conquer? 22,000 men leave, and now Gideon has an army of 10,000. Verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, every time, but the Lord said, all right. The Lord said, there are still too many. Right? (laughs) Can you imagine what Gideon would have been like? Really, God? You just caused 22,000 of my army to leave. Now 10,000 is too much. So he says, bring them down to the spring. I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. In other words, there are still too many for the purpose of my absolute glory. And if he called out 22,000 people and they left because of fear, that means God recognized one thing. There are warriors here who do not have the heart that I need to go forward. I'm still looking for the remnant. I'm still looking for the small, genuine. Everything that we've been riding on for a year and a half has come out of one fast, and everyone knows the name of it. Decrease for increase. And the fast became a cultural set, a culture setter for this house. We decrease spiritually, we decrease physically, and there has been nothing but increase since. Strongholds are being broken. People are walking back into their identity. Financially, we've been the best we ever have. We haven't had one case of COVID because our Lord is stronger and he does protect us from every plague when we start to seek him. It's amazing what God has done. Six years ago, I would have run at the idea of God taking people away. But now I'm excited about the filtering situation that he's got on this house. Because it's revealing who are the remnant. So if you made it this far, you know, you, those who left were the 22,000. And we, maybe we're at the 10,000 mark. I don't know. That was a joke, by the way. Everyone left, it wasn't because they were bad Christians, God moved them. That's okay too, because we're all one church, right? I'm going to get in trouble for that. Is it possible that big can actually be a hindrance to the work of God? Because I do believe we can be large and be totally dependent on God to give him all glory. But unfortunately, as you grow large, if you don't minister and grow up the individuals, then you've got a big that is empty. And God says, I can't use that. I'll still get glory to a level. People will still come to know me. The name of Jesus will still be glorified. People will still have an experience with me. But I'm not looking for those who hadn't experienced and felt better about themselves one day a week. I'm looking for a people who walk into my presence and experience me and it changes them. Saul had an experience that instantly changed his whole trajectory. Gideon had an experience. He spoke with an angel of the Lord that was Jesus. God confirmed that it was him. And now, Gideon, the weakest of the weakest of the weak, is leading an army to redeem the entire nation of Israel. And at some point, we are either going to be people that depend on an experience or are totally changed where we no longer seek the experience. I've been talking to some people about changes and things in our vision and culture. I think we need to get away from the term worship experience. This is a gathering of the ecclesia. It's not just a time to experience God together. Because if we're truly walking in the loving arms of the Father, there is not a time we do not experience him. But what the church has built is let's come on the weekend to encounter God. And then the rest of the week, let's just get through it so we can encounter him again. And you know what I'm talking about, social media. Thank God it's Friday. Well, God loves Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Why don't you? Because you're living in a mindset of let me get through my week instead of I walk in the presence of the Father 24-7. So no matter what the world brings me, I'm carrying peace. I'm carrying presence. I'm carrying all that I need to be satisfied by the heart of God. Some of y'all got real quiet when I said that. But we all struggle with it. I struggle with it. I've been going nonstop. And, and, you know, Sunday I'm thinking, after church I'm going to have a nice relaxing day. And then I remembered, oh, Zane's got a birthday party. (laughs) And I love Zane to death, and I'm excited to go to it. But it's those type of things. You know, we have this mindset of, ah, i got to do something else. And God's like, but... Imagine what I can do in that something else. Are y'all following me on this? We love to complain about our weak places, but not enough places. Well, God, I don't have enough army to go forward. And God's like, "Well, get in. Let's make it a little smaller." God, I don't have enough knowledge of Your Word. Okay, get back to my spirit so I can deposit in you a word of knowledge. God, I don't, I, 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 I don't understand, you know, how to explain predestination. Well, uh, seek me, find me, and let me give you a, a word of wisdom that you do not possess. God, I got trust issues, okay. Seat me, get lost in the loving arms of the Father so I can give you a gift called faith that you do not currently have. You see, it's I don't have this so I can't and God says, get lost in my arms so I can give you what you don't have. I'm well aware of what you lack and I will provide your every need. Including the I need to walk in my assignment. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Let me read that again. To keep me from becoming proud... I was given a messenger of Satan to humble me. I'm pretty sure God can use all things to work for my good. I don't know why God's allowing the uh, the spirit to come at me all the time. Well, it's probably to keep you from becoming dependent on yourself. So praise God for allowing it to stay. But do you get so lost in his love that you have a fear of a demon, fear of an evil spirit, or that's you again? You know what? Thank you. I I can't do this on my own. Lord, help me. Lord, help me in Jesus' name. You think freedom has to do with being out of the presence of the demonic? I walk in freedom wherever I go, including the territory of the enemy. It's not let me dodge demons. It's they don't affect me. It just lets me be aware of my dependence of God. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Lord, can you please take away this demon? Uh, My grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I cannot resist this temptation, so God, help me resist it. See, we we get that that, that notion wrong. Like, well, there's this thing that I get tempted with that I keep falling into all the time and I'm not strong enough. And God's like, exactly, you idiot. You're not strong enough. That is an indicator that you need to depend on me in that thing that you cannot overcome. And when you depend... On me, you walk into the truth of the scripture that no temptation is given to you that you cannot handle. Because it's not about you handling it. It's about you handling with a power and a strength that you do not have that is aware when you're having to deal with that temptation that you can't deal with. Exactly. It's good that you realize you can't deal with it. It brings an awareness of dependence. So I boast in my weakness of I can't so that God is evident and gets the glory of I can. That's why I take pleasure, verse 10, in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. And some of us are way too proud to let guards down, to look too vulnerable and too weak. And that's the culture in the church. You know the way the the church has looked at people as worthy to serve is let me see how they how powerful they are. Let me see if they have a theological degree. Let me see if they can tell me what Galatians five twenty two through twenty three says. Let me let me see if they can cast out a demon. Let me let me, let me can you fill out a resume of how many times you fast and pray. Can can, can you tell me how many times you do this and how many times you do that? And what we've done is is we've created this culture in the church that that, that, that says, I don't want to use vulnerable and weak people. I want the people that get it all right. Right? I I, I want the people that look like a, a model Christian. And Jesus is like, you want the model Christian? I spoke to a woman in a well who was like married five times, shacking them one, and by the end of the conversation, I told her to go preach the gospel back in her city. It's not get it all to, It's not you got to check off the list of get it all together. It's I am totally okay with exposing my stuff so that get it together flows out of a relationship with love. It's not let me get my life correct, it's let me get lost in love so that the thing I have to correct never even becomes a desire anymore. But if you're in this religious mindset of let me get my sin right, you're always going to be struggling with one thing, and it's not the sin, it's your identity. Because you don't believe you're free from it. I struggle with it. Well, do you boast in that or do you complain about it? So God says, Gideon, I've taken 22,000 away. Now you've got 10,000. Let's go down to the water. And I'm going I'm to test him to decide who's going to fight against this horrible oppressor. Verse 5. when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him Divide to the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cut water in their hands and lap it up. With their tongues like dogs. Y'all want me to demonstrate? <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be that weak. And the, other, and the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Now that would appear like the better thing because you get more water if you just get your head down in the water. Right? It says only 300 of the men drank from their hands. Like dogs. See, I did it. That's weird. If you didn't catch it, you weren't paying attention. See, I'm willing to just lose everything for the glory of God. 300, the others got down their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 idiots that look like dogs, I I will rescue you and give you victory over the midnights. Send all the others home. (laughs) So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns of the other warriors, sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. And the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. What a strange test, but think about what's going on. You're at a, you're on a mountaintop. The enemy is in the valley below. God's trying to figure out who of the 10,000 left are the most capable. Warriors for him. And he says, get two groups. You got the men who are getting down to the stream and cupping it with their hands. Then you got the men who are so focused on their thirst that all they look at is the need not knowing if the enemy is coming from all sides. Ah, oh, my knees are bad. <laughs> God said, these 300 right here, they're not focused on their need, they're focused on their assignment. And I think sometimes the biggest test of God is where's is your focus? Are you focused on your need? Or you focused on your assignment? These 300 men were well aware of everything that was going on around them. The other 9,700 men, all they cared about is, I need a drink. I need to get my thirst quenched. And they got the more water because they were able to get down and get all the water they could without spilling it. When you lapping up water with your hands, you lose a lot. And it takes a lot longer to get sustained with the thirst. But are we a people who are willing to take a little bit longer to get sustenance in God or are people that want the immediate satisfaction? Are you willing to go through a longer process of waiting till marriage? Or jump right in? Are you willing to go through a process of I'll be fulfilled by taking delight in his pleasure rather than gluttony? Are you fulfilled by it's better to give than to receive? Because you're not obsessed with God let me focus on my need it's I want to keep my focus on where would you have me go? And a lot of times We miss the where, because we're so focused on, I need my job, I need food for my family, I need, I need, I need satisfaction, and I I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, and God's like, those are, the scripture says, those are the prayers of unbelievers. No wonder 9,700 got sent away. You know what Colossians 3, 2 says, Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. Where do your thoughts feast on? Heavenly things or natural? Is this making sense? Where is your focus? And just to throw this out here, because I think it's a great teaching point. I think there's truth in it. But what if all of this commentary about why the 300 versus the 9700 was simply just this? I want a smaller group, and, it and their faith wasn't less, and their faith wasn't more. What if it was God just says, "I want to do this in such a way that's going to make people believe in me"? What if? I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate things. I think sometimes we try to pull too much out of the Scripture. You know when the scripture says in Jesus name demons go and then people write 45 page manuals on how to cast out a demon. (laughs) Do you really believe in Jesus name is that powerful? Or is your model more? (laughs) Not to say there's something wrong with the model because in the life of the church You've got the 300 who are the in-Jesus-name people, and you've got 9,700 who are I-need-the-model people, right? Okay. <laughs> 300 left, looking down in the valley of 135,000 soldiers. That's an odds of 450 to 1. I did the math. At that point, they had to the trust not in themselves, not in their strategy, but in God. Verse 9. That night, the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. God gives the command. Take your weakness into the enemy's camp, and I've given you victory. And then he says, but just in case you're too scared. You know what I love about that? Just in case you're too scared, go listen to the conversation. The Lord was so used to Gideon into his relationship that he knew what Gideon was going to do. Well, Lord, if you want me to go down into the army with 300, could you give me a sign? You remember the whole last two weeks? Give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. Here's your sign, give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. sign." God knew him so well that he didn't even give Gideon a chance to ask. God knew Gideon so well after this relationship that he says, if you need a sign, I'll go ahead and put it out there. Psalm 139, 1 through 6, this is David writing. Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Get in. <laughs> you go before me. You follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Don't buy into the lie that God doesn't know you. He knows what you need. We've too long in the church preached against the doubting Thomas. Jesus never rebuked Thomas for doubting. He said, oh, yeah, I, Thomas, I know you. Here, touch. He didn't offer that to anybody else. Kind of weird. Hey, put your finger in my flesh. Like blood and, and muscle. He, he knew what Thomas needed. He knew what Gideon needed. Well, if, if you too... Still too scared, even though I've proved myself over and over and over and over. I mean, yeah, just go down and listen to the enemy territory. So look what Gideon does. Can you all guess what he does? (laughs) He goes down. (laughs) Verse 12. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had a dream. No, um, he said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down to the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, knocked it flat. His companion answered, well, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite victory over Midian and all his allies. I would have loved to have been Gideon hearing that conversation. Now, you dang right that we going to, let's, let's go. <laughs> right? But here, we, So we see this description of this vast army. And Gideon hears a dream about a loaf of barley bread. Well, in this time, you know what the loaf of barley bread was? It was a food that only the poorest of the poor ate. No one of any stature or any sort of... Um, place in the community in the army let alone no one ate barley bread it was known as a food for those who were not worthy of the good stuff so the man when they heard the dream he interpreted oh the only one I can think of who we deem not good because he destroyed our altars and his daddy came to his rescue because he called out our God saying let your God defend himself and then Baal never showed up but let's keep worshiping a God that don't show up He said, this can only mean one thing. The poorest of the poor of the weakest of the weak is going to come down that mountain and destroy us. So fear was gripping the enemy. Make no mistake. The enemy knows the seemingly insignificant remnant of God that carry a power within us that can only be attributed to God Almighty. And if you're walking in the identity of a son or daughter of the loving father, demons fear and tremble because of the sound and authority you carry. That is Jesus. Look at demons speaking in Mark chapter 1 verse 24. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They trembled when Jesus showed up. They were scared. And they started begging for their life, even though they're destined for death. They started begging for their life. And I think maybe you're facing tremendous battles today, and you're scared to walk down into the valley, and you need to remember these conversations that Gideon overheard. If you are wrapped up in the arms of the identity of the loving Father, when you walk into a room, everything changes. Because they no longer see you, they no longer see empty darkness. For some reason, when you walked into the room, you are the light of the world and you changed the atmosphere. You are the salt of the earth. That means when you walked in, the atmosphere and environment changed its flavor. The flavor was spooky, but now it's peaceful. The flavor was chaotic, but now there's order. The flavor was confusion, but now everyone knows what they're supposed to do the moment you walked into the room. Because you're no longer consumed with what I can do. You're consumed with my identity is in the Lord. And when I walk into a place, He gets the glory. He speaks through me. My actions are a fruit of His leading. And then demons no longer recognize you. They recognize Jesus. And just like the enemy was scared of a nobody like Midian or Gideon, the enemy is scared of a nobody like you because it's not about you. It's what you carry. which should cause us to go to a greater degree of, man, I want to seek that much deeper so that when that tormenting demon comes like Paul had when you look at it he's the one shaking why are we scared of stuff that should be fearing us I don't know spiritual warfare I don't know how to deal with that I'll tell you how to deal with it get wrapped up in love or the demons shake at the sound of your voice because there's no longer your voice they hear I get calls still today. Can you come bless my house? Because there's a demon. Like, bless bless your own house. I don't know how to do that. Well, then that shows me that you don't have much relationship. You're just calling on the preacher because you think you can pay me to do the work of the Lord. You carry the same God as me. Or do you really believe that? It's identity issues. Pastor, can you come pray for my family? You pray for your family. You carry the same way that I do. <laughs> Maverick gets it. <laughs> Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he pouted and worshipped before the Lord, and then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up! The Lord's given us victory over the Midianite hordes. When he heard it, He gave praise to God, then he shouted, let's go. His encouragement in hearing the enemy's conversation was contagious. When he saw truth, he could not help but do but one thing, spread the truth to everyone. I wonder, has your encouragement in him caused you to spread it everywhere in your camp? Are you still too fearful to talk about God and you pray for the right timing? Well, the timing is is now. Lord, can you show me when to speak to my family member about Jesus? He's like, it was the moment you knew me. Well, I'm praying about timing. Um, I mean, it's 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 kind of past time. But what? But what, but <laughs> <laughs> wow. but we're scared to lose the family member. We're scared to lose the relationship. Now, I'm I'm not saying go with judgment. Maybe the time is dependent on your delivery. Let me get so lost in love that everything I speak is in love, and I no longer have to worry about how I come across. Look at verse 16. So he divided the 300 men into three groups, gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. You see why they were chosen now? Keep your eyes up. Don't don't look at the enemy. Don't look at the valley. Keep your eyes where? On me. When I come to the edge of the camp, just do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for for the Lord and for Gideon. That's interesting. For the Lord and for Gideon. We're going to get into that. Gideon had been consumed at this point in walking with the father. That this time, Gideon didn't have to say, what's next? He was walking in one mind and one spirit with God. And as he was walking in let's go, he was speaking the strategy of the Father without having to consult. Can you imagine a day where we're walking in such unity that the very words we speak are the strategy that right now we spend so much time praying for? He's a spirit filled man. And he says, The very thing that God used to assemble you to me, the ram's horn, is gonna be the very thing that is used to defeat the enemy. Because I know it looks foolish, guys. I know we're out four hundred and fifty to one, but it's not by our power and not by our might. It's him. And it's been confirmed. Without me having to ask for another confirmation. 19. I'm gonna to get to the Gideon and God thing. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Remember, three groups, three groups of 100. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horn and they broke their clay jars. And then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. 135 1,000 Midianite people were panicking and running from 300 dudes with fire torches and horns. (laughs) A Midianite army that had chariots and swords and all the necessary stuff, they panicking at torches and horns from 300 people. They woke up at midnight to an explosion of noise, light, and a movement coming from all directions. So their perception of the army was much bigger than their reality because they were surrounded. Why did they shout a sword of God and a sword of Gideon? Because these people did not worship Yahweh. You remember why they're wanting to kill Gideon? Because right beside the altar built to worship God, the Father, was another altar, Baal. They knew of this God, but they did not know who he was. But who they did know was this Gideon dude who destroyed their God's altars and their God didn't take care of him. So they knew They didn't know Gideon's God, but they knew there was something specific and powerful and a favor on him that they didn't get when their God's altar was destroyed. So why are they shouting for God and for Gideon? so that they would recognize the reason Gideon was carrying something into their camp was by the God that they did not know in which he followed, which is why he had a power and a strength and a favor that they could not comprehend. And there will come a day when people do not, there is a day when people do not know our God, the one and only God, not any other God. Yahweh the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They don't know him, but the way they come to know him is they look at a Heather. They look at a Jonathan. They look at a Ryan. They look at a Michael. And they say, there is something about you that is real and tangible, and I want it. And then you say, well, it's by the sword of God and the vessel called Kyle that God works through. They will know you by what you do. They will know me by your fruit. And we've embraced this idea of the way we get people saved is, here's a track, you're burning in hell. You haven't said a salvation card uh, statement that's not even in the Bible. Have you said the prayer of salvation? What prayer of salvation? You know what Saul's prayer of salvation was? I can't see. Lord, what do you want? That was his salvation. What was Gideon's salvation? Hey, good and faithful servant, let's go. Lord, is that you? Hey, Peter, you caught any fish? Nope. Catching it on the other side. Lord? See, they didn't know God, but they knew that there was something about Gideon. The enemy was shaking at the sound of Gideon's name. Because it wasn't even no longer Gideon's name. It was the identity of God working through a man named Gideon. And then watch how the battle begins after the shouting and the fire torches, ram's horns blowing. When the 300 Israelites, verse 22, blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah. They were in a lot of Shittah. <laughs> <laughs> Near Zerara and to the porter of Abel. Meholah near Tabith. I ain't right, y'all. And then Gideon sent for the warriors of Napali, Asher, and Manasseh who joined in the chasing the army of Midian. The first phase of the battle was it wasn't even between the Israelites and the Midianites, it was the Midianites fighting against themselves because they were awoken from sleep in darkness to the sounds of victory surrounding them. And they were so confused that God says, well, since you're working by your power, let your power be the one that takes you out. They weren't dependent on Yahweh. They were dependent on a false God. And he was so false and so fake that they had to depend on their building of numbers and their power and their tactics. So God said, yeah, I'll use that. You don't want to go by, not by my power. I'll use your own power to defeat you. And I believe that God is telling the church today, your power will be your end. I'm going to say that again. Church, your power will be your end. If you think the way to win a city is to gain every person to fill your pocketbook so you can buy stuff, you've, you've missed the point of it. I, 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 I'm, um, I, was, I was under a covering for years. And it never really crossed my mind until this week I was listening to a sermon. He was quoting a, a, a preacher named Creflo Dollar. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. <laughs> yeah, this is his real name. And he, had, he would preach, the only way to win a city is to buy it. Yeah. So I'll say it again. Church, your power will be your end. Stop depending on your resources. Let me use them how I want, even if it means not. Oh, you think you need to grow big to change the city? I caused such an uproar in Jerusalem that 12 men got killed for it because they changed the entire nation. 12. And we're still trying to grow our churches so that we can. The time is now. Not tomorrow, now. He has done everything necessary to put us into the rightful position to go down into the valley and the darkness that is Savannah, Pooler, Effingham and take it back. And as the survivors fled, God allowed Gideon to call on help. Remember it was 300, but now he's got Naphtali and Asher, Manasseh. Because if we would be so bold to walk into the courage and, and, and the boldness relying on God, the testimony of what God does with a few will cause the others who were asleep to rise up and say, let's go. What if the, the 32,000 need to see the boldness and faith of a 300 to make them say, oh, there is no fight anymore. We've already won. We're just carrying it out. Oh well, let's let's get the money and buy the swords. Just just, just give me a pot and a horn. <laughs> Good. Good. Let's build the mega church facilities. Now just give, just give me your home. Just just give me your home. Right. right? Well, we don't need to be carnal. Redeem carnal. What what do you mean redeem carnal? We don't need to do carnal things. If I read this right, whenever I walk into something, a situation, it changes. And the church has made all these rules about don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. Right? There was even a day like in the Pentecostal church where don't you know don't don't dance. Right? Because it was carnal of the world. And now, like, we're trying to get lost in the dance, right? Uh, the the Saudi Arabian missionary talked about how in Saudi Arabia it's against the law to have entertainment and you're complaining that they shut down the concert because of a disease and that's going to affect your whole peace and your entertainment value you know what I say praise God that the entertainment has been shut down so we can actually focus on him for a second I'm missing the thing that I like to do every year well God's been missing you for about 30 in the last two verses of Judges chapter 7 Gideon also sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying come down to attack the Midianites Cut them off at the shallow crossings of the Jordan River at Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim did as they were told. They captured Oreb and Zeb, the two Midianite commanders, killing Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they, con- <laughs> they got killed in their own places. And they continued to chase the Midianites. Afterward, the Israelites brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan River. The sound of victory spread so much that as the sound of his voice, people throughout the land responded without question. No more fear. Let's go. Can you imagine the day when there was such a victory in small and embracing the weakness of small, the weakness of we are not enough, the weakness of we don't have, that God will do something so big that the powers seen in weakness would actually unify the large? Can you imagine that day? Amen. We just need to embrace our weakness and allow God to show us how rather than say, well, we'll do it once we grow or once we earn or once we understand. No, 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 no. You don't understand? (laughs) My power is made best in you not understanding because my ways are so much higher than your ways. My thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. So if you can just get out of you trying to comprehend, I can work best with that. And I want to recognize one more thing before we close. What did they have in their hands? They had clay pots in their left. And they had ram's horns in their right. Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. The horn of salvation. Right? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts. This fire burning inside of us. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. You know what embracing weakness looks like? Allow yourselves to get more broken because you are the fragile clay jar that God is waiting to break so that his fire can be seen in the darkness of the land. God doesn't need another concert. He doesn't need another fake thing called revival. He, He doesn't need another church service. He needs a people that are so lost in him that this goes wherever we go that the presence is not let me go get a word let me go get a touch let me go feel him as I carry my God wherever I go it was at midnight they only saw one thing and heard one thing they saw fire and they heard victory let us be a people where we're known by one thing a fire, and a victory that can only be given to one name, and that is Jesus. Amen. Let's embrace our weakness. Who's ready to embrace weakness in this place? Come on. Let's give God some praise.